I don't, I don't think, well, you tell me, you spent an hour or so with me, and I, I, don't, I don't feel like I'm passive aggressive. I don't, I don't probably people who say that are passive aggressive. <laughs> no. Am I passive aggressive? <laughs> this week on Walking the Dog, Raymond and I went to Sheffield to take a walk with someone I'm going to call a professional walker because it's only newsreader, presenter, and ex Strictly star, Dan Walker. And he brought along his big orange fluffy ball of gorgeousness, Winnie the Cockapoo. Brief headlines, Dan is lovely company and full of fascinating stories. But I think what sold me most was his rather brilliant habit of saying after everything, do I sound like Alan Partridge? It was a fabulous day. And no, we won't talk about the fact that I fell over into a leafy ditch because it simply didn't happen. I really hope you enjoy our walk with Dan and Winnie. Do check out Dan's brilliant follow-up book to Remarkable People about all the incredible figures that he's met doing heroic things. It's called Standing on the Shoulders and it's really inspiring. I'll shut up now so you can hear from the man himself. Here's Dan and Winnie and Ray Ray. Right, now you're going to be a good dog. Don't let me down on this. This is important that you pr produce your best behaviour. Dan, what's the significance of this park? I love it. Um, this is my local thing. This is my area. These are my people. <laughs> this is my block. Um, no, uh, so we live on the other side of the park and I was a student in Sheffield for many years. Uh, so I've been coming here for ages and ages. When I was a student, I used to live over there and just up there and about a mile away and now I live only about 500 yards away from when I first became a student in Sheffield. And this is a beautiful pot, what's that Dan? Uh, that is like a very old bit of Sheffield stone wall um, right at the entrance on famous old roundabout here. If you say Hunter's Bar to anybody in Sheffield they know where you are. Um, and this, I was, right don't, don't say this in a bad way but this is the only place I was almost arrested in my life. Um, there is a good reason for this though. I was coming back from a student party at a house full of dentists, right? Come on, Win. And um, the person who owned the house had just had a supply of new toothbrushes. And she said to everyone who came, would you like some toothbrushes? And I was a poor student. So obviously you take some toothbrushes. I put them here in my coat pocket there. And as I was walking down here past the park, um, there was loads of police cars just outside because they were looking for somebody in the park who had committed a robbery on Ecclesall Road here and was hiding in the park. So I thought, oh, this is fun. I'll just come in and have a little wee behind this, this wall. So then as I came out from my late night wee, spotlights everywhere, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm an innocent civilian, nothing to do with me. And then they, they saw this very large, bulky lump at my chest and they said right what's that and I went what, what what's the problem and said well we're looking for somebody who's robbed a pharmacy and I was like no way <laughs> this is going to look really bad but I can promise you I'm not guilty because it's actually a six pack of toothbrushes um, and I explained myself and I had to say you know where what I'd done where I'd been yeah. thankfully they believed me and they they did find the perpetrated on the far side of Enclave Park. So I escaped. Oh, yeah. Dan, I mean, who knew? You look so innocent. And it turns out you are. But I like that you've got a bit of a past. Well, it's good to, I think it's always good to have a side, isn't it? Come on. Oh, hello, Winnie. Come on, Winnie, be nice. Winnie, this is Raymond. Look at Raymond here. This little sort of ball of black fluff. Get involved. I'm afraid Winnie doesn't really like anybody other than my wife. Uh, Do you know, Raymond doesn't really either, so they might actually get on okay, Dan. This could, this could be a beautiful bond, Emily. This could, this could bring us together. I need to find a bin because um, I've got... There's no easy way of saying this. I'm clutching poo. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've brought quite a few poo bags with me because the last thing you want to do on a... On a on a dog walking podcast is to not have a poo bag. That would be the ultimate embarrassment, wouldn't it? It's happened. I'm going to have to name change. We've all done it with leaves, haven't we? <laughs> so, Dan, will you introduce us formally to your beautiful dog? Yes. This is Winnie. 
Uh, Winnie is, hello Winnie, <laughs> look at her. Uh, Winnie is uh, seven years old, nearly eight years old, and she is a, a cockapoo, she's a rusty cockapoo. Or would you like one as well, Raymond? I'm gonna give Raymond a treat too. Raymond, do you like, is it too big for you, Raymond? Do you want, do you want one of them? Go on, Raymond, get involved. Yes, Raymond. I feel like we've had a special moment there, me and Raymond. I think he oh, likes you. Go on, Raymond. Raymond, eat it. Yes, he Raymond. He just likes to savour it. That's he treats it, he's quite performative about eating it. It's like he's appearing on Sunday brunch. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like I'm doing an act of eating. Yeah, when, when he's more of a gobbler. <laughs> um, she is, uh, we got her a few years ago, and um, well, we got her when she was a tiny little puppy. And the kids picked her out because there were nine puppies in the litter and she was the only one who wasn't black. So they wanted one that was a bit unusual and she was sort of ignored by her brothers and sisters. And um, the kids absolutely adore her. And what's her, what, what uh, type is she again? She's a cockapoo. She's a cockapoo, full yeah. cockapoo. Yeah, full cockapoo. And I like to think we, were, we had cockapoos before everybody had cockapoos. You know, the world's got oh. cockapoos now, haven't they? Are you an early adopter? Well, my wife is. She, she sort of makes dog-based decisions and I, I, just, I just tag along, really. And where did the name Winnie come from? Um, well, like you, I love a dog with a male name. <laughs> so I, was, I wanted to call her Steve. So I just think the idea of calling out the name Steve in a, in a park yeah. is, is wonderful. But my, um, we all got a vote in the family and I was outvoted because their kids wanted Winnie the cockapoo. So okay. there you go. But it does suit her. You know how her name grows yeah. on you? She, look, she looks like a Winnie, doesn't she? Oh, she's completely a Winnie. Yeah. Now, where do you want to go in this park, Emily? We can either go, oh. over to, the, can go to the Queen Victoria statue down there. We can go around to the War Memorial around the back. We can stroll past the cafe. Where do you want to go? I like the idea of the War Memorial. Okay, let's go here. Should we go there? Go Winnie's here. got a lovely walk, Dan. She's a bit of a twerker. Yeah, she's, uh, she, li she likes to smell the world. <laughs> And so tell me, take me back to your early years. Mm. Did you have dogs growing up? Is this in Sussex? Uh, yeah, so I grew up in uh, Crawley in West Sussex. And we had, I mean, Winnie's the, Winnie is my top dog, but we had a gorgeous Labrador growing up called Honey, just this way. Who was, what a um, great name. Oh, she was so nice. And I adored her to bits and she sadly died right in the middle of my GCSEs, which is a bit of a blow, isn't it? But um, we used to have pictures of her all over the house. My mum and dad loved her, my brothers and sisters. She was just a huge part of the family. So when we then had our own family, I was always really keen on having a dog. But I think if you've, if you've got a dog, you've got to be responsible with a dog, haven't you? Have yeah. space and time. And now uh, part of the kid's pocket money is to walk the dog, so. <laughs> That's how we try and make sure she gets a walk every day. So, we're talking about your dog growing yeah. up. This is Honey the Labrador. And this is with your folks. Back and your, your dad is a, a man of the cloth. Yeah, he, he's retired now, but he was, yeah. <laughs> what was he his was official a, title? He's a pastor? He was a pastor, but he was a teacher for a long time. He taught geography for a long time. Um, what does pastor exactly mean, Dan? I'm, excuse my ignorance. Essentially, but like a, it's a vicar. Like a vicar in the Church of England is a pastor in another, in a different church. It's just a different, I suppose it's just a name change. Same thing, though. Mm -hmm. They're like the one who does uh, the preaching and looking after people and, you know, visitations and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, he did that for a long time. Um, and now he lives in Derby with my mum. They've moved a bit closer to us. And I've got a little sister who lives in Derby. Um, so we're sort of spread out all over the country now. And I've got another what? sister who lives in Coventry, and my other brother is uh, still down near Crawley. So, yeah. And did your mum? Was your mum a homemaker? Uh, my mum was a. My mum was like superwoman. Was she? So she's Welsh and brilliant, and um, she, oh, good solid poo there, Winnie. And um, <laughs> sorry, I always do commentary on my dogs. <laughs> I don't know why that is. I think that's the sport. <laughs> that's the commentator of me. I just commentate on the dogs doing a poo all the time. I just I broke off into poo commentary <laughs> there. You, oh. Don't you think that when dogs poo, they they try and make it as hard as possible for you to find it? Yes. With leaves, distance from the path. And now it's, I've taken my eyes off the poo, I can't see it. 
<laughs> the issue is we're in a we're in a poo hunt when there's lots of leaves that are poo coloured and acorns that look like poo. Dan? Yes. What have you done with that poo? This is a bad poo. This is like a massive poo loss. Yes! Yes! Look at that, there it is. That is a great poo find. That could have been bad. Nobody wants to leave a poo behind. Leave no poos behind, like Hollywood. <laughs> so not like Hollywood. <laughs> Come here! The, oh, the, look that, at this. That is the worst thing that happens, isn't it? Do you I want mean, to explain what you've just seen? People who leave poo bags, either on trees or yep. just anywhere. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to pick that up and put it in this poo bag. <laughs> I just think that's a bad thing. <laughs> that is the height of selfishness. It's like people who litter. <laughs> I don't mind a Do ten-year jail sentence for littering. <laughs> Do you know what, Dan? Yes. We've we've just been by a little brook, and. There was a bag there with some abandoned poo. Yeah. And what happened has told me quite a lot about you because you picked up the poo. And that tells me, well, what do you think it tells me about you? Because I think it suggests... I love, I love poo. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it suggests you've got a sense of right and wrong. And a lot of people would have said, oh, that's a nightmare and walked on. I'm, and I can't lie, I suspect that might have been me. And I like that you thought, no, if I don't do it, who will? Well, that's what I, often, I suppose that's often goes through my mind. No, everybody will walk past that poo and go, oh, that's awful, who's left that there? But it's not that difficult to pick it up and shove it in the bin, is it? So, so I'm picturing little Dan. Yes. Very blonde. He, well, almost ginger, actually. Yeah, like powerful ginger. And, and a haircut by my own mother, uh, which was awful. That would be my advice to my younger self, don't let your mum cut your hair. Um, this is the War Memorial, by the way. So this is one of the guys who um, appeared in my first book and is in the book that I've currently written, the guy who looks after this memorial. I met him right here on a dog walk in 2019, a guy called Tony Folds. And he was an eight-year-old in the park just behind us here, behind the cafe, playing in the park in 1944, when a US bomber came over the park this way, having uh, been damaged in a bombing raid in Europe. And the plane flew over the kids because it didn't want to land and potentially hurt Tony and his friends. And it crash-landed right here. And all 10 people on board died immediately. Uh, the pilot was a guy called Lieutenant John Kriegshauer. And Tony's now 86, and he still looks after that memorial. Mm. Uh, if you come most mornings, he's there. Every weekend, there's normally quite a little bunch of people there having a chat with him as well. So I met him in 2019, and I had a chat with him, went away, told his story, and then six weeks after that was exactly the 75th anniversary of that plane crash and that death of those 10 men. And wow. in the park here, imagine this, I know it's pretty empty at the minute, but there were 15,000 people in there. And Tony was stood right on that spot where that guy is. And he was holding the hand of the great niece of the pilot. Mm -hmm. And the 10 planes came from down this way. 10 US Air Force planes flew over the top in formation in a thing they called a missing man to signify the death of servicemen or women. And they flew over the park here and millions of people watched on TV. I think that's the best thing I've ever been involved in. Oh, Dan, how lovely is that? It's nice well, though, isn't it? So, tell me about little Dan and his red hair. Yeah. What sort of a child were you? Were you, were you shy? How would someone have described you? Or were you extrovert? Uh, I, was a, I enjoyed telling stories, telling jokes. My mum and dad would often have friends over from America or, you know, uh, other families around. So, I suppose I spent quite a bit of time with adults. So, you know, that makes you, I suppose, be a little bit more mature than you would be otherwise. Yeah. But I had loads of great mates. I loved sport. I was obsessed with people like Glenn Hoddle. Oh. It's a bit of a hill, this, by the way. I you, quite like it. Um, obsessed with Glenn Hoddle, Nick Faldo, Boris Becker. I just wanted to be a, either be a sportsman or to talk about sport. So You've got the look me. 
There's something of the Stefan Edberg about you. Oh, I'll take that. I love Stefan Edberg. He Although was... he was no Boris Becker, let's be honest. Would you like another little treat, Remy? I'll give you one, and then Winnie can have one as well. Winnie, come on. Good girl. Here we go. Why, why Raymond? Well... Is it because you like Ghostbusters? Is it no. Ray, Ray from Ghostbusters? You no, know, there's a couple of reasons, and I feel I can tell you the real one. Because, no, it's true, sometimes I have a sort of, like a funny answer, which is Ray Parler, the Romford Pele. <laughs> However, I got him because my sister passed away, which is so sad, Dan. And my sister was called Rachel, and when we lived in Australia, everyone called her Ray. So I thought it was kind of a nod to her without being too oddly confrontational. I think that's lovely. Do you know what I mean? And dogs do... Those who don't love dogs or have dogs, it's hard to explain, but dogs understand when things are bad, don't they? They just get it. They understand when you need a little bit of a cuddle, and cats don't. Cats really don't. I think the difference between dogs and cats, and I'm, I'm not anti-cat, but I do feel that if, if you fell on the floor now and you had a cat, the cat would leave you there for about a day, and then at the point at which you're just at death's door, they'd probably eat you. Whereas Raymond here would sit by your side, probably give you a lick, and when it was getting desperate, Raymond would be off trying to find somebody to help you out. That's the difference between dogs and cats. Cats would eat you if they needed to. Would he, Dan? Would he be off getting help? I reckon he would. Look at Raymond, he's thinking, yeah, I'd save you. Dan, he's licking his lips. All right, Raymond, <laughs> you let me down there. <laughs> Winnie would so, do it. Winnie would do it. Winnie would do it. Yeah. So, did you always want to be a performer when you were growing up, Dan? No, I, was going to, I wanted to be a teacher. I was going to be a teacher. My history teacher at school, a guy called Mr Lowell's, was a big factor in me doing history at university. But I did have a backup, and that was to be a broadcaster. I wrote to Des Lining when I was 11 and said, Dear Des, can I have your job, essentially? How do I get it? And um, he wrote back and he said, Do GCSEs, do a degree, uh, don't do media, do English or history, and then get a job in local radio. And that's what I did, actually. I did a history degree at university, and then I got turned down for, doing, for being a teacher, for doing a PGC course, for being too immature. I know. And then... Okay, uh, okay I'm going to need a little bit more about that. <laughs> okay. This is another one of those weird stories. So I went for the interview in a borrowed suit, but I was playing football for the university that afternoon, so I had my football kit on underneath. And there was one nice teacher and one horrible woman who was asking all these sort of ratty questions. And then halfway through, she said, do you know what I think about you, Daniel? I went, what's that? And she goes, I'm annoyed about the color of your socks. Got these really bright socks on. She said, I think you're the sort of teacher who would maybe fun to be, be fun to be around, but wouldn't teach the kids anything. And I said, well, hold on a minute. That's a bit harsh. And I stood up and dropped my trousers because I, I told her that the reason I've got socks on is because I'm wearing football kit and I'm playing this afternoon. And that was the end of put a big cross on my application form and that was it. Dan, why did you drop your trousers? Do you think that was a bit of a weird thing to do? Yep. <laughs> I think it probably wasn't the right option when you're trying to show that you're a bit more mature. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, no. Own a dog, owner down. Dog, owner down. <laughs> oh, no. This is really bad. No, do you know what? I'm so sorry. This is the second podcast I've fallen over on. This is really bad. I've taken you on a treacherous path. I'm so sorry. I just fell oh, look, over. All your things have fallen out of your bag as oh, well. Oh no, and my car keys and my. But you know what? Are you all right? Oh, do you know what? It was a lovely soft ball. Yeah, it's quite a nice area. If you're going to fall somewhere, that's oh, a good place. Do you know? Hey was... Raymond, where were you on that one, eh? I noticed Winnie and Ray did nothing to help us. Yeah, when he, when he, when he popped you a glance, Raymond just. Do you know what I think? Very that's, vacant. Do you know what I think that's about? Yeah. I think that's because you keep the faith, and I was remonstrating with you over the clothing and I was being punished. Is that what it is? <laughs> you've, got a, look, you've got a little bit of a stain oh, there on your lovely Dad. coat. It's not really a stain, it's only leaves. Okay, just a flesh wound. Okay, good. Um, so go on, we were talking about, this is, so you're going, you're going for the job of teacher. Oh yeah, so. You get turned down because you drop your trousers. And then I, I thought, well, okay, this is like a sliding doors moment. What do I do here? And then I applied to do a postgraduate course in broadcast journalism, took out a career development loan for a ludicrous amount of money to pay for the course. Yeah. And then um, that was it, really. I 
signed up to do that in Sheffield. I did it, and while I was on that course, I got a job in local radio, and that was my that was my way into the industry. And um, yeah. And were you? What were you like at school, Dan? Were you popular? What gang were you in? I wasn't bullied, and I wasn't a bully. I was like, I, I think I, I think I was in the funny kid gang. I was in the sporty. I was going to say, were you a bit of a jock? Yeah, but not not in that sort of taking Mickey out of all the kids type way. That I was. Yeah. I was. Do you want to go across the famous stepping stones? Yeah, come on. I was really sporty. Played, you know, uh, football and tennis and all that you've nearly fallen over again no i didn't doing all those things and then um I didn't. but i also Damn. i also did all the other things as well so i tried to do a bit of everything the only thing i was terrible at was art absolutely useless at art but yeah. I, had a re- I had a decent report card now, wow look at this is raymond going to survive these stepping stones well never mind raymond given that i've already fallen over i think <gasps> they are quite wet today as well this is this is a significant test of your uh foot-based abilities. What, what do you reckon? Dan, wait for me! Some of them have got slightly larger gap than others. Ah! Oh, I love this. Oh, Winnie did fall in here once and I had to jump in to rescue her. It does get really high when it rains up in the Peak District. There you go. Oh, I did it! Oh, I feel like king of the world. It's a big moment, that. Come on. Oh, yeah. Come on, Ray, you follow Dan. And so you went to Sheffield, Dan? Yeah. Sheffield University? Mm-hmm. And you relocated, basically, then. You never left. I stayed here. I met my future wife here. But then we lived in Liverpool for a bit, we lived in Manchester for a bit, we lived in London for a bit, and then we came back here about 10 years ago. How, so did, you, how did you um, know she was the one? Oh. Well, actually, I, I, this, I didn't plan this. I asked her out on this, in this park. <laughs> Are you joking? No, it wasn't, probably not too far away from here, actually. It was a game of, we were playing a game of football, and I... Just asked her whether she wanted to. I think I took her to Deep Pan Pizza, which is over there. But it's no, no longer with us, but about 500 yards away over there. I took her there for a meal. Did you know her? Or did you just see her? No, I knew her, yeah. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be quite so <laughs> rash as just to say, Oi, fancy going to Deep Pan Pizza, love? No, no. <laughs> I mean, if that was, if that was your game, no, I don't know. That's I mean, not my game, that. No, I, 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 I got to know her a bit and then... Uh, yeah, and then we got, when we get married, we got married in 2000 and wow, I should know this off the top of my head, one. Mm. And um, got married in Sheffield in a beautiful place called Botanical Gardens, which are just like the next park along over there. Did your dad marry you, Dan? He, he was, he was in, yeah, um, that's a good question. Yes, <laughs> there were other people involved in the service as well, but yes, my dad did, yeah. And obviously, all the while you're working on your career, which, mm. were you ambitious, would you say, Dan? Uh, yeah, but I just, I've just always enjoyed the job, really. Mm. And I've never stayed anywhere longer than 18 months, other than Football Focus and uh, BBC Breakfast. Every other job, I've only ever stayed 18 months and then moved on to something else. Mm. Yeah, I've just moved around a lot. I mean, it takes, you never know whether you're gonna get anywhere, do you, in any industry. All you do is you just work hard and see what doors open and when they open you push them, some of them slam in your face, some of them lead to another door, some of them lead down a horrible long corridor that goes nowhere. Do you think also that, um, I can imagine you're quite a nice easy person to work with because you can be the most talented person in the world but no one wants you around if you're difficult. That's definitely true. And also, I've worked with some horrible people over the years. And I just think, I won't mention any of them them are, but I just think that every person you meet in life, that's an opportunity to make, either make their day better or worse. And I just, I can't fathom out why you'd want to make somebody more miserable. 
by saying something horrible or being cruel or not working hard or taking the credit for something or you know all those sorts of things you can do where you put your head on the pillow at night you think oh that was a bit out of order wasn't it I'm always convinced that you can be nice and kind and considerate and enthusiastic and still make it but I've never been I'm not interested in I think some of the things that people think that I might be interested in considering the job that I do. I, I like to describe it in the F's. I'm not interested in some F's, but I am interested in the others. And the F's I don't care about are the fame, the froth and the fortune. And the F's that I do care about are family, faith and friendship. I think that's probably the best way of looking at it. So I don't, I've genuinely never, oh yeah, never been interested in being famous or being recognised or, or any of that sort of thing. I just love, do, love doing the job, mm. that's it. And did you, did you find that when you started doing it, it took you a while to be yourself as it were? Because that's what a lot of people say about really good presenters and particularly ones like you who've been doing it for years and can do it standing on your head. The key is to be authentic and, and often people's first reaction when they get, see a camera is to kind of perform essentially yeah I, I've never felt might sound a bit weird but I've never ever felt that I'm not me on camera ever mm. I think when I first started out and I was doing some I used to do a lot of radio and then I started doing telly for Granada Reports in Manchester Drinks for Emily. Oh, what was what? that it's what have me. you got Emily <laughs> what have you got oh great choice Dan, do you want a drink? No, I'm okay. Are you thank okay? You. Did you get marshmallows, Emily? Oh, I don't know. Oh, bad choice. Bad choice, Emily. <laughs> I love this little cafe. It's really nice. They do, a, yeah, so they do a, an award-winning cheese toasty in here. So it's sounding your set like yourself. That's really interesting. Yeah, you just, you've always been yourself, you Yeah, I've never tried to pretend to be. I think it's, there's a, like you say, there's a lack of authenticity. If you try and be somebody else or pretend to be somebody else, or think you have to act like something else. Mm. And also, it's that if you if you're acting at some point in your life, then you're going to have to drop that act, and that's when it all comes crashing down around you. Whereas if you're yourself the whole time, you're always learning. I'm constantly learning. I used to, when I first started out, I used to do this thing whereby I'd um, make a list every day, and one thing that I did well, and one thing that I did badly, and then always try and repeat the thing that you did well and eradicate the thing you did badly and then every day you get better. So give me some examples. What was the thing? Like if I read a bulletin, in a, you know, if I, if I repeated a word in a bulletin or, you know, breathed too heavily when I was doing a sports commentary or used a word that was, didn't quite work, I'd put that on the list of things never to do again. Or if I, you know, had a really good turn of phrase or if I introduced a guest in a great way or if I used a link that I thought, oh, that's great, make sure I do that again, then I just put that down on that list. I don't like making mistakes. Yeah. When I do make a mistake, I try and do that thing where you learn why it happened and yeah. then you move on from it. So don't just think, oh, that was annoying. Try and work out the process of why it went wrong. Look at this big old oh, beast. And they all have one guy. Oh, oh, I love your dog. <laughs> Dan, what's that dog? That's a, I believe that's a big dog. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know, a really bushy one. This is the old Victorian boating lake in Enclift Park. Hiya. Hiya. She'll ruin your trousers if she jumps up. I want, she's lovely. But <laughs> that's the thing about Winnie, did you see? Like they, they, yeah. they, people... Uh, People recognise Winnie more than they recognise me. Is that right? Yes, they just said, well, we love Winnie. Oh, Winnie, they love you. They don't care about your daddy, I'm they afraid. They don't. Winnie's, Winnie's quite well known around here. Um, so yeah, this used to be the old Victorian boating lake. It's got loads of sludge in it now, so you're not really allowed to put a boat in it. But apparently the Victorians would come up here and they'd set about in here and they'd do a bit of punting and a bit of rowing around here. It's nice, isn't it? I, always, I never get fed up of a park like this. Do you know what I mean? And down, if, you, if we walk all the way down the bottom here, you might, you might see the uh, Enclave Park Kingfisher. So, I want to talk without further ado yeah. about your brilliant book, Standing on the Shoulders, which is 
just about to come out. Yes, we're on the brink. Yeah, on the brink. And it's kind of the follow-up in a way to Remarkable People yes. in some ways, isn't it? Because I wrote that two years ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah Remarkable People was um, a book that I wrote a few years ago because I've always felt that sometimes lots of the interviews that I do are only five minutes long, like on the telly or on the radio. And for a lot of people that I interview, five minutes is not enough. And there's a lot of people that I've interviewed over the years where I've thought, I want to know more. They've got a hinterland. There's stuff that's happened in their life which needs explaining. And I feel that there's so much that I and other people can learn from that. So that's why I started writing Remarkable People. It was just 10 chapters about uh, 10 different situations, 10 different things that happened and the things that they'd learned about their own lives and stuff that other people could learn from them. And yeah. it, it did really well. And the publisher says, have you got any other people? And I said, do you know what I have? So uh, that's where Standing on the Shoulders came from. And the, the title is, a, I don't know if you're into your, your into history. but my Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton. I love that quote. Well, wasn't yeah. it on, was it the pound coin or the 10p coin? It was on one of the coins anyway. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Oasis used it as yes. a, they had a, an album that's used it as well. You interviewed him, Liam, didn't you once? Yes, few to- few times. Well, yeah, I've done. I've done. Um, when I used to do commercial radio, a lot, I used to do all the big. Acts, Did you get so. on with him, right? I got. I, he. I had to about five minutes in. I said, "Listen, I'm really enjoying this interview, but if you're going to swear this much, there's no way we can use it." What did he say? Uh, it, F's. Oh yeah, F's, F's and Jeffs and all sorts. He was dropping C-bombs left, right and centre. Oh, no. The only person I've ever met whose, whose language was worse was uh, Rick Mail. I mean, <laughs> it was uh, brutal and unusable. So and Standing on the Shoulders is a collection of people and also subject matter. There's things in there like forgiveness and rehabilitation and reconciliation and issues like suicide and... You know, all sorts of things like yeah. that. And there's people who've been in some of the darkest places it's possible for you to be in, but they've either found their way out or they're constantly walking towards the light. And yeah. I, just, I find that fascinating. And there's so much to learn from those sort of people. There's, as you say, there's really touching three fathers oh. who lost their, th- their three daughters to suicide. It actually makes me cry a bit even talking about it. And how they've turned that awful trauma into something incredible. Yeah, and the other thing that I find fascinating about that story is... I, when, I, when I wrote that chapter, that was the first chapter that I wrote, and actually I, I didn't write anything else for about six weeks after that because mm. I just didn't feel like I... I wasn't quite ready to move on from it, if it, that makes sense, mm. because as, as a dad of... A 15-year-old, a 13-year-old and an 11-year-old mm. son, and the two oldest ones are girls. You just put yourself in that situation. How would you react and what would you do? And I, I often went back to Tim, who's one of the dads, who a month after his daughter Emily died, he found a suicide note in her cupboard. And that cupboard, uh, the, the note in the cupboard said, please don't blame yourself, but also it said, if somebody is able to learn from what I've done, please let them. And I think that has really driven Tim on and Mike and Andy to raise all this money for suicide prevention charity Papyrus but also try and make sure that they can just stop maybe one other family, one other young person from being in that situation and I, I have the utmost respect for them because the, the pain and the guilt must be crushing at times and yet they still get out of bed every day. Yeah, yeah and there's a, so many incredible stories. There's a father who was at the Manchester bombings with his daughter. Yeah, Martin. Martin and Eve, isn't it? That's and right. Martin lost the use of his legs. They, yeah. He and his daughter Eve were the closest to the blast that survived on that night, you know, the Ariana Grande concert. Yeah. And Eve had a bit of shrapnel that went straight through her brain. And amazingly, she survived. And she's not quite got the mental capacity that she used to have but she's alive, she can eat, she can speak. And Martin was told that none of this would ever happen. And he himself, I think people were just waiting for him to die as well. He's lost the use of his legs, but he refuses to be defined by being in a wheelchair. And I just, I find him fascinating because he says he's not, it's not 
his injuries that leave him disabled. It's the attitude of society that leaves yeah. him disabled. Yeah. Uh, but sorry for the noise. That's that's the Enkley Park waterfall. We've got everything in this park, you know. And Martin is just in the last few weeks. He's become only the second paraplegic in history to get to the top of Kilimanjaro. It's amazing. And I love that idea that he says, every day I climb a mountain just getting out of bed. Mm -hmm. So I might as well actually climb one and raise money for Spinal Injuries Association. And he's raised an incredible amount of cash. And he's one of those people, as soon as you meet him, there's a smile on your face and you think, my word, you're an unbelievable bloke. I find it interesting that your dad, a lot of what he did presumably was about People had him as a figure they could talk to, and that's kind of what you are as well. Yeah, I suppose so. I hadn't, I hadn't not really thought about it like that. But I, the, the beauty of it for me, all these people came together at the book launch, and mm. they're all in a room together, and I'm introducing them all and saying, have you met so-and-so? They did this amazing thing. Mm. What about this guy? And then Donna Ailing Ellis, who is Rose's mum, so she, Rose is one strictly, and there's a chapter about Rose mm. and Donna and their beautiful relationship. She went up to Darren Frost, and anybody who remembers the uh, Fishmongers Hall terrorist attack in London, and remember the guy with the narwhal tusk who stabbed the terrorist? That was Darren, mm -hmm. Darren Frost, who still has uh, night terrors about what happened. But he and another guy called Steve Gallant, who was a convicted murderer, who acted also amazingly on that day. They saved lives of tens of people. Mm -hmm. And Donna goes up to Darren and says, never met before. He says, I, I read your chapter in the book today. I think you're incredible. And he goes, no, 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 I, I read your chapter and what you've done for your daughter, Rose, how you supported her, that's amazing. And I think it hit me at that point, this is the beauty of it all, is they can't see how other people see them. They don't see themselves as amazing or brilliant or yeah. inspiring. They just think, this is my life, I'm getting on with it. And actual fact, what they do is amazing. Now, this is the Kingfisher branch. I'm afraid it's either normally on this one or that one over there. You can always tell when the kingfisher's about because there's loads oh. of photographers in the park. They all, all the, all the bird, is that all right? the twitchers come out. Yeah, and they all, I think they all ring each other and say, "Oi, kingfisher's about! Come on!" I'm like, Dan. Yes. Why do both dogs look to you as an authority figure? I don't know. Maybe it's my. I don't know. <laughs> maybe it's my voice. Hello, dogs. I wanted to just tell you, Dan, as well, because I. Really loved your first book as well, Remarkable People. And thank you. I was absolutely in bits though reading about that chapter you wrote about Gary Speed, oh, yeah. who was obviously a friend of yours, and what a terrible loss. Yeah. I cannot imagine how difficult that must have been as somebody who spent, who was working with him the day before. Yeah. I mean, it's now over 10 years on mm. and I still got questions about it and I was unsure about writing that chapter I didn't know whether it was the right thing to do I spoke a lot to his family and they were really keen for me to do it and I think like anybody who's lost somebody like that lost a friend you want to deal with it really responsibly and tenderly and carefully especially when you're talking to his two sons and I think of all the people I've ever interviewed, all, all the days I've ever lived so far, I think I'd, I wouldn't mind having that one again because I've been over it so many times in my head. What he did, what he said, how he, how he looked, all those things. And we should say he was on your show, wasn't he? Yeah, sorry, he was on, so he came on Football Focus mm. and he was the current Wales manager at the time. And he talked about the future, he talked about you know, leading Wales to a major tournament talked about his family, talked about all sorts. And then that Saturday night, for what reason we don't know, he decided to take his own life. And his family found him the next day. And it was, for anybody who remembers, it was a real shock. I think he was probably the first superstar footballer, really well known, both in football and outside of it, who'd done something like that to to the extent that he did in terms of making an impact and he was on the front and the back page of every newspaper and nobody could really get their head around it. I've always enjoyed spending time with him 
and I'd always found him to be the sort of person who always asks about other people, he's always interested in you and your family and just a genuinely nice man. But it's a reminder to me that you never quite know what's going on under the surface and you never get away from those questions of could I have helped him, should I have helped him, should I have seen something. And when I did, last year when I was on Strictly, in the middle of the Strictly run, it was the uh, 10th anniversary of his death. And the BBC asked me to film a sort of like a 10 years on message to men to talk about mm -hmm. mental health and to be honest about how they felt. And I didn't want to do it. I said no, first of all. And then the family said, we'd really like you to do it. So I did it. And that's, I think that's probably one of the strangest days because I was, I was dancing a rumba in front of 10 million people on the telly, right? And I stupidly watched the film go out on Football Focus in the afternoon. And I think I've been bottling it all up for probably for 10 years and it all just sort of flowed out, really. And Nadia was brilliant that day. She just sort of gave me a massive hug and said all the things that she needed to say at the right time. And then we went out there, danced the rumba, made it through to the quarterfinals. But that was a really strange day because I got some amazing messages that day, including one from a man who, that, the guy who said that he'd been in a really bad place, but watching that film about Gary had actually saved his life. And that made it all worth it. Mm. Because if you can save one person, or if you can stop one person from doing something that's gonna affect them and everybody else for the rest of their lives, then I suppose that's a good thing. And I do think we're better at talking about these things now than we were before. Yeah. And I'm also, I don't know what you feel about this, but I'm very thankful that I don't have mental health issues. Mm. And mm. I think my faith does help me in that enormously. Because, do you think so, Dan? Yeah, I'm, I feel like it gives me a real sense of perspective and I don't get carried away with the highs or dragged down by the lows because I know that you know, my value doesn't come from what people think of me and my value doesn't come from what people say about me. And I think it's really easy, particularly in my industry, to get worried about people's opinions of you. And it's nice when people write nice things, but I think don't let the praise take you too high and don't let the criticism drag you too low. Mm. And I think a lot of that comes from the grounding that that sort of relationship with God. For me, that's how I see it. That's, that's how I think I find perspective in life. It's also, I think it's understanding that you're not the centre of the universe mm. and the world doesn't revolve around you. And as soon as you realise that, I think that's, I find that quite empowering because mm. it's all about serving others, helping others, doing what you can for other people, I think. What are you like when you're angry? I don't get angry very often, but rudeness makes me angry. Thank you. No problems. And uh, littering makes me angry. <laughs> and um, injustice makes me angry. And I think that's why, I, that's why I love being a journalist, I think. Because the only thing that God has given me, right, is words. And I can use them on the television, I can use them in a book, in a newspaper, on the radio. And I can use them, hopefully, in the right way. I know journalists aren't particularly popular. They're up there with, like, <laughs> estate agents and politicians most of the time. But I feel that I'm very privileged to do a job where I can... I can use a sword for people who can't defend themselves and I can be a shield for those who are under attack and I can seek the truth and defend it and ask questions about it and actually there aren't many jobs you can do where you can change the world I think you can genuinely change the world and change people's perspectives and write about things and talk about things that are really important and I think particularly now it's always been the case, but because news has never been under more scrutiny, it's never been more important to be truthful and accurate and fair in what you do. So, And we should say, you moved, you had a very exciting career move this year, because you left the BBC 
for Channel to 5. To go to Channel 5? Yeah. And just because, what was that? Was that a hard decision? Yeah, very hard decision, but I made it surprisingly quickly. I'd, I'd done Strictly, I'd left Football Focus, I'd written a book, and then Channel 5 came and knocked on my door and said, listen, we really like you. We'd quite like you to come and... Sorry. Oh, sorry. We'd quite like you to <laughs> come and work with us. We think you'd be great, and we don't want you to just do news. We'd like you to do... Do you want to get a drink, by the way? Yeah, shall we? Yeah. Um, we'd like you to do, make loads of programmes for us. And I just thought, what a great challenge. Also, something different, something don't, new. Don't you think, always go where you're wanted. Yeah, I'm not going to get many opportunities like this in my whole life. When someone says, we like you, come yeah. and work for us and do loads of stuff. Uh, I've already made a new series with them. I've just, it's just gone out about... Um, Digging for Treasure, an archaeology series. I've got something else lined up as well. Hopefully going to do some other bits with them this year, next year, and the year after that as well. So there's lots happening. Look at Winnie going over there. Dan, here's a question. What do people get wrong about you? They're always surprised that I'm so tall. <laughs> um, I'm not. You're not? I think, think you've I got a tall man energy. Okay. They're all, they're all, I, I mean, I must have thousands of times over the last few years particularly on breakfast the two things I always got asked was what time do you get up in the morning mm. and oh dear me you're much taller than I thought you were and yeah those are the things that always come around but I, in terms of, in terms of misconceptions I don't know I'll tell you what I think oh, here you go then give me your insight I think there's a lightness about you and when I say a lightness like a lightness of energy that I hadn't expected but you seem a bit more high spirits and mischievous and fun and i like that did you yeah. or did you, did you think i was boring no <laughs> Dan, awkward, isn't it? we're outside bit... the public toilets in a park and i'm getting told i'm boring i didn't think you were boring what i'm saying is dan in his in his civvies in his leisure wear i'm seeing another side to dan i think I, it's interesting you say that i think that's what when you go on programmes like Strictly or quiz shows or other stuff, I think lots of people have said it was nice to see a different side to you. And I, I always think, I, like I say, I'm always me on the mm. telly and I can be serious and I deal with the serious stuff mm. hopefully well because I know it's important to get that right. But I, I also, I love laughing and poking fun at stuff and having a good giggle. Well, I'll tell you what I think. I think you laugh at yourself. I don't take anything too seriously. Uh, right. Come on, what? Dan, let's get a coffee. What should we get? Now, there's no we'll dog, get it. There's no dogs allowed in. We'll stay with the dogs. Okay. That woman's one me over with a hot chocolate. Hot me chocolate. too. Yeah. Um, let's go here, Dan. Yeah. Let's have a seat. Oh, right. Do you know, I really love this area. It's nice, isn't it? Do you find, it's interesting with the height thing, because I'm little, and I notice it becomes, um, I often wonder, like, because your height becomes more of a thing that people notice about you. Often I get told that people are surprised that I'm not as awkward being this tall. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So when you're six foot six, I think it's easy to be awkward. My out of that is always to say, I think I hide it with my incredibly muscular frame. <laughs> and then people normally laugh. <laughs> I didn't laugh. <laughs> but I think... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously tall, but I don't, I don't feel like stupidly tall. I mean, I have to get, you know, shirts lengthened and suits yeah. made and stuff like that. But that's just, I've always been confident about everything. You carry apart, yourself. Apart from dancing. Wait, that was, yeah. I've ne I had no, and that's why I'd said no to Strictly four times. Because yeah. I didn't want to do it. Yeah. But going on that programme, that's given, I think that's made me a better presenter because it, if I had nine out of ten confidence, I've now got not, and it's not, it's not arrogance. It's just confidence that you can do a good job. And I'm not a dancer, but I can dance. She taught me to dance. I only expected to be in it for three weeks, and it lasted three months. <laughs> it went on forever. Oh, I know, Dan. What I wanted to ask you. I'm fascinated by this. Yes. The phone contract, which I've been reading about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> With, With the kids. Yeah, I just think that we're quite. Maybe we are quite strict. My children tell you we're quite strict. But we're just careful about what they're able to do at the age that they are at. So we let them have a phone when they were old enough to walk home from school. 
but when Susie, our eldest, got her phone, we made sure that I gave her a piece of paper, actually, Susie, and she signed it, and I signed it, and it was like, these are the things you're allowed to do with it, and these, if you break these rules, then you lose your phone for a certain amount of time. And it was things like, stuff like, if I ask you, noisy dog. That's what Winnie's like, if I leave her, if I leave her alone. She's got a basketball in the background, and a barking dog. You know well, what? welcome to the park. Yeah, so the phone contract, Dan. Yeah. I just think there's certain things that... It's a big responsibility to have a phone. Yeah. And they have to realise that that comes with rules and regs. So they weren't allowed to go on Instagram until they're 13. And then we are also allowed to check it whenever we ask for it. I think that's... I mean, I don't think we're breaking any parental ground here. Are you quite a strict parent? Yeah, I think I am, yeah. Oh. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I think I'm getting less strict. Because par- parenting is easy, isn't it, if, if from a distance, but when, it's, when you're sort of faced with the realities of complicated situations, you have to... Yeah. Really careful the way you deal with with girls, particularly. I think. Do you know I'm obsessed by this cafe? There's a microphone. I love it here, if Dan. If you ever come back, you'll have to come back for a cheese toasty. Dan, you don't drink, do you? Uh, I, I do, not just not oh. much, hardly. But you don't have coffee. Dan doesn't drink coffee. Never had a cup of coffee in my life. Why not? No, don't like the smell of it. Why I used not? to work with Louise Minchin on mm. breakfast. And she'd have a triple espresso every morning. Oh, can you feel that wind? Every morning at um, five to six. How can you do a breakfast show for six and a half years and not ever have coffee? I I had one cup of tea at 5.30 and that was it. Because, as you can experience, I'm high on life. Don't need any drugs. (laughs) That was a bit partridge, that, wasn't it? (laughs) Have you ever been called partridge? Oh, all the time, yeah. But I, I think... I'm, the thing about Partridge is he's really, he's actually really near the, the truth, and it's just a slight exaggeration of the truth. And I think, I, I, I mean, I know the accidental Partridge is regularly said, but I, I'm quite purposefully Partridge every now and again. I think there's nothing wrong with that. I, I often get tagged in by accidental Partridge to that account, and they say another classic from Dan Walker. <laughs> <laughs> I'll What's the that. most Partridge thing? That you've been accused of um, Once I was doing a, they did a whole two and a half minute compilation of this stuff that I did at an FA Cup live game, where it was magnificently partridge. This kid had made a tin foil FA Cup, and um, so I said, "Oh, look at this young lad. What's your name, mate?" And he said his name. And I said, "Look at that. It's a lovely little tin foil. In fact, it's not the best. It's not the best tin foil cup, is it? Could could do a bit of work that." And his face just <laughs> dropped. And it was just exactly what Partridge would do. And then I had to get him back later in the programme and apologise to him live on air because we had so many complaints about the way that I dealt with him. Are you quite a control freak? Mm. I like... Yeah, I probably am. I like... <laughs> but only not over other people. Only over things that I'm, I can control. So... I don't, I don't think... Well, you tell me, you spent an hour or so with me. Am I, I, don't, I don't feel like I'm passive-aggressive. I don't, I don't... Probably people who say that are passive-aggressive. <laughs> no. Am I passive-aggressive? <laughs> but I, I like to plan. I'm a really good planner. I can so, tell that. Just looking at you, you're immaculate. The buttons are all done upright. Look at you. You have the look of someone who makes lists. Do make a list. Do you want to, I can't tell you. I can't tell you what's on the list because it's top secret. But when I was on Strictly, I made a list on here called "Things to Do, Things You Need to Do on Strictly." <laughs> I won't tell you what's on it, but it worked. Oh, Dad, can you tell me one thing? The, the secret planner in me loved this. You, you dance for ninety seconds every week, but. You also speak to Claudia for 90 seconds. Your VT yeah. is 90 seconds long. And also you do stuff on 
line and on it takes two and those other three areas the VT mm. Claudia and the other stuff that's just as important as the 90 seconds dancing so you spend four days working on your dance and hardly anybody plans what they do the rest of the time but I've, I've really thought carefully about what we did with Claudia oh this way Which what we did with Claudia and what we did in our VTs every week yeah so stuff like that just a little list about that I like a list are yeah. you a list maker? No. No. I'm for, I have to be, because you and I, possibly this is why I warm to you, because I like organised people who are confident captains of their ship. Oh, right. Is that how you see me? Yeah. Do you not see yourself like that? I, yeah, I feel... Whereas I'm like the sort of slightly crazy passenger <laughs> screaming we're all gonna drown I've absolutely all. annihilated that hot chocolate by the way that's gone very quickly I do you know what I love that I'm calling that very Dan, Dan Walker annihilating hot chocolate <laughs> I always think hot drinks should, you should they should be cold enough to be done in one I like to, I like enough milk in my tea to be able to down it in one <laughs> that's another partridge isn't it? partridge myself there <laughs> um, I think the way I the way I think about it is remember earlier I took that, that a really fine line between confidence and arrogance and I, I don't think that I'm arrogant but I'm, I'm confident that I can do a good job so I never ever would even consider in my head that I'll make a mistake on television now I might do one mm. might make a mistake might say something wrong but it never crosses my mind that I'm going to. And I feel that if you start worrying about making a mistake, that's when they happen. I, am, I think I am relentlessly positive. But I'm like that with everything. You know, if, I, if there's two hours, I'll fill that two hours with stuff and think I can still be at the thing at the end of that two hours on yeah, time, yeah. Even, if it's imp even if it's impossible. So I can't imagine... I had Michael Owen on this podcast not long ago. Yeah. Well, he and Gemma had come on. And Michael was saying, I have no time for people who lie in. No, he said, everyone gets up at seven in our house. <laughs> That's the rule. Are you... No, I'm not. I, That's how I live. I get up. Once I'm awake, I get up. And I wake up early. But do you have a, do you have a routine every day? Are you up at seven every day, for example? No, because I do different things on different days. So I, I present on Channel 5 like four days a week but there's other mm. days when I don't do that and if I'm not doing that I'm probably up doing the, something with the kids like taking them to music practice or to football or something else so that regard that's dictated to me by what the family are doing but if I'm in charge of myself yeah I'm up I'm either up doing some exercise or up working writing Come here. thinking about something at the end of a dog walk these steps are quite oh. substantial aren't they Oh, I nearly fell there. I nearly had a little trip there. Did you? Oh. <laughs> Dan, I've loved our walk, honestly. I've had a really nice time. Have you enjoyed you. it? I have. Um, it's, it's, it's lovely because you, we've gone on the walk that I would normally go on. And normally, oh, he put the microphone on the dog. Right on his bottom. We've rescued the microphone. Never seen a dog's bottom mic'd up before. Quite partridge for him. <laughs> See, once you start spotting them, they're all over the place. <laughs> Dan. But this is my normal dog walk, but I've done it. I don't normally chat this much. I normally stop and have a little chinwag with the occasional person, but. Dan, what do you think of Raymond? I think Raymond, who's currently not. Raymond. Raymond and I have an unshakable bond. This, if you don't mind me saying, this beautiful little shaggy mess of a dog has uh, bonded with Winnie. Look at them together. I mean, that's gorgeous, isn't it? Do you know, Dan, I think they almost tolerate each other. <laughs> that's kind of what I require from a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> I think in many ways they are, they are showing us what uh, humans should be like. Just keeping a safe distance. <laughs> Just being kind and occasionally sniffing a backside. Sorry, I, par I partridged again there. I really hope you enjoyed listening to that and do remember to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes. <laughs>